Good morning and welcome to the Spirit-Led Discipleship Podcast. I'm Nate Harkness and I am bringing to you guys just a message from my heart that is hot off the presses, that's just right here in the moment um, because it is so good. I want to walk through Galatians with you guys today. And the reason I want to walk through Galatians is because I was doing a uh, healing and deliverance session this week with a woman who was um, has been severely tormented by emotional and spiritual issues for the last 40 plus years, uh, really for all her life. And there's trauma in her background and pain, and she loves the Lord, but is consistently um, tripped up by guilt and shame and um, unforgiveness and, and all kinds of fleshy things. And as we went through this exercise, she had a beautiful, powerful connection with the risen Christ. And she talked about how hard it's been to read the Bible. And I said, why don't we, why don't we jump into the word this week? Why don't you jump into um, Galatians? And she said, wow, I think, I think you're hearing from the Lord because Galatians is something that God has often spoken to me through. And so I got curious about Galatians and decided to jump into it myself today. And I'm dragging you along with me because it is the power of the gospel and um, the freedom of the covenant of faith. And if you can get the message, uh, it will totally change your life. And I'm banking on it uh, continuing to change mine because I get caught up in law thinking and old covenant thinking. And so what I want to do today, because so many messages and sermons are just um, a lot of talking around a little Bible, and I want to give you a lot of Bible and a little talking. And so I'm going to read for you the entire book of Galatians. Don't turn the podcast off. You'll be happy you stuck with it. And I want, uh, Paul says, uh, to, to, to read the word publicly. And so this is me reading the word publicly to you, and I believe that it's going to get into you because, man, this book's alive. So here we go. The book of Galatians, chapter one. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our Father, planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, What we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. 
Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Let's just pause there for a minute. Man, good to know that you're called and that however far you've wandered from God, his calling and election is secure in your life. And uh, Paul was called before the foundations of the earth. Um, God chose him before he was born, called him into his marvelous grace. It's pretty awesome. Um, Paul writes, when this happened, I do not rush out to consult with any human being. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the province of Syria and Cilicia, and still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us now is preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So, another pause. Paul had a reputation. He could have gone right into ministry, and he did a little ministry right away. But... Between his conversion and his public ministry, we're talking about at least 17 years. Um, and we'll see next that there's 14 years um, inter interval there. And to me, that points to the validity of Paul's calling and his experience with Jesus, that he is not trying to make a name for himself, but that he is driven into solitude and a journey of discipleship um, before he launches into ministry. Let's jump into chapter two. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had preached to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure we were in agreement for my fear, for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So here Paul is setting up his argument against circumcision as a requirement for salvation. Even that question came 
up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away our freedom we have in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow the Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Wow. You feel the passion of Paul wanting to preserve the gospel message for the believers by absolutely adamantly practicing freedom in his own faith and in his ministry. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation was as great leaders, which was as great leaders, made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. You see, when people are in the spirit, they find themselves unified. Even when they don't think they can be, they find incredible unity. And they recognize the diversity of the gifts and the callings that are on different people's lives. And that's a great gift. Um, unity is not based on shared doctrinal understanding. It's share, It's on uh, recognizing the Spirit of God in each other and the uniqueness of each person's calling. But when Peter came to Antioch, here we get to the problem. I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Oh, this is uncomfortable for us because you have Paul publicly calling out one of the other leaders, uh, which would maybe be taboo in our context. But Paul is a very bold guy, and his passion for the gospel seems to um, override his uh, human niceness <laughs> and desire to preserve Peter's feelings. And so he says... Uh, when he first arrived, talking about Peter, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Uh-oh. He was afraid of, circum of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Uh-oh. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And I can just imagine Paul being like, oh, you got Barnabas? Ooh, now it's on. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, talking to Peter, you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not, quote, sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right by God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. 
for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Still uh, talking to Peter here. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. Oh, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. And I think that's, that, that should just resonate in every heart. When I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So, says Paul, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if, I, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. And this is uh, its conviction. It is power. It is good news. And it's, it's that universal fact that when we try to follow the law, um, meaning any system of rules and regulations that are designed to make us right with God as an add-on addition or substitute to the atoning work of Christ on the cross, then we have made grace meaningless in our lives. It is not okay for us as believers to say, I'm grateful for grace, but you also have to do a few extra things. It's not okay. It's not okay for Paul. It's not okay by me. It's, and it should not be okay by you. And yet as Christians, we swim in a cesspool of law thinking. And yeah, we're grateful for Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And yet you got, there's a few other things you got to do because the sin nature is going to gobble you up. And Paul is saying the only thing required is faith in the finished work of the cross. And that is, that's Paul's message. It is when, when we crucify the old nature, we are alive to God. And yes, we still live in a mortal body that is subject to weakness. And the only way that we can live in this weak body is by trusting the son of God, by faith in God. It's faith that Jesus lives in me and he is the core organizing principle of my life. And if you dig down, down, down to the very bottom of me, what you will find is not sin, darkness, and hell. What you will find is Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I realize and actualize that simply by faith. Paul says later in Romans that anything that does not come from faith is sin. And so we don't get a pass. We don't get to, um, to die to the flesh and die to the law and then start rebuilding what we've already torn down because we feel insecure and afraid that maybe Jesus isn't enough. Um, this is a point of great passion for Paul. He absolutely insists on people understanding that there is only one thing that makes them right 
with God, and that is the righteousness of God on display in Christ, what he did for us on the cross, and him living in us the hope of glory, and us participating with him in death, and with him in resurrection, and with him in ascension, and with him in glorification, our lives hidden with Christ in God, under the throne of God, when Christ who is our life appears, we also will appear with him in glory. I mean, this is really really good news for people with a with a weak conscience who've lived trying to be right to be uh, to be acceptable to be approved of and and they want to do it um in all kinds of ways that make sense to them uh which is do, following the rules and and doing the law and Paul is saying not on my watch not on my watch it's it is not safe to add rules to faith. It is not safe to add regulations to faith uh, as a way of pleasing God or being made right before him. If we do that, we will find ourselves in a situation where we believe that some sin of ours will send us to hell. And the fact is that... that that is a lack of faith. And that lack of faith is every bit as much sin as is fornication or adultery or pornography or drunkenness or anything else that you might call a sin. Lack of faith is actually the primary sin. And so enough preaching on that. But that's the good news all the way already in chapter 2. And Paul is going to go further in chapter 3. And he is going to go so far as to call them fools. Foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? By obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give the Holy Spirit... And work miracles among you because you obey the law. Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Wow. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Pay attention, that's from Genesis 12. That's the Abrahamic covenant when uh, God promises Abraham to make him a great nation, the father of many nations, and to bless all nations through him. And he's talking about the Gentile mission and inclusion into the kingdom. All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ 
share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So you and I, well, I am a Gentile and I am grafted in to Christ because I share in the faith of Abraham. And it's not through the law. It is through the faith of Abraham. Paul expounds more on this in Romans, um, but he's just pointing out that the only reason we can believe as Gentiles uh, is because we share in Abraham's faith and we receive the promise of the covenant to receive the blessing of God, the favor of God, the salvation of God through the faith of Abraham. Paul goes on, but those who depend on the law uh, to make them right with God are under his curse. Wow. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And so you know, if you are depending on the law, if you are anxious about all the things that you are not doing for God, all the ways that you are failing God, all the ways that you are um, not a good enough Christian or not a good enough believer, that is a sure sign that you have some dependence on the law. And if, if that is you, then you are currently under the curse that God spoke over the law when he said, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. And so if your heart is relying on the law, even if you're a born again believer, if your heart is relying on rules and regulations to make you right with God, then that curse applies to you and you will always be looking over your back wondering what you're not doing. And this is something, this has been a lifelong journey for me. It continues to this day and over and over again. I, I have to turn to Jesus in faith and say, no, I am not justified by what I do. I am justified by your grace, by what you have done. And in doing that, I find incredible freedom, incredible joy. I'm satisfied in my walk with God. And I believe God is satisfied in my walk with him, that he is satisfied in my obedience and will lead me to even deeper obedience. Then that I will learn obedience, just like Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. I will also learn obedience. And yet right now, God is fully satisfied in his relationship with me as his son, and, there, and there's not something that God is wagging his finger at me, um, pacing around heaven, just wondering when I'm going to get it. Because that's all on the cross. And I'm not under the curse of the law. In fact, Paul would talk about the opposite of being under the curse of the law, which is allowing Jesus to become the curse for us. He writes, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life, or the righteous will live by faith. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ 
has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And so Jesus knew that we were under a curse. And he said, let me take that curse on for you. And so he took the curse, which is cursed is anyone who does not um, obey all the works of the law. Um, in another place, Paul says, you know, if, if you are, um, if you're dependent on the law, you better do the whole thing. Um, and if you don't do the whole thing, then your heart will condemn you. And you will come under God's curse and condemnation. Don't put yourself under condemnation that's not applicable to you. And so Paul is saying, no, no. Jesus grabbed that curse and, and he took another curse on himself, which is cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. And he says, I'll become the curse. I'll take the curse. But if we continue to insist on applying the law to our lives as a way of getting right with God or being um, righteous before him, then we have nullified the curse that Jesus took for us. And we have placed ourselves under that curse. And that curse then has power in our lives. Even though we are, quote, Christians, we have given power to the curse of the law by saying, no, no, the curse that Jesus took on for me is not enough. I'd also like to place myself under a curse. I'd like to come back under the curse so that if I don't do everything exactly as it is written, according to the rules and regulations of the Bible, then I will believe myself condemned and I will create self-fulfilling prophecies in my life that create cycles of condemnation. Now, you may be saved in the end, but your life will be a living hell because you will be under condemnation. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are alive in Christ. If you come under the condemnation of the law, you are not alive in Christ. You are dead in your sins. And the only way to get free of that is to believe that Jesus did it all. And to put your faith in your participation with him in death. And your participation also with him in resurrection. If you believe that, then Paul says... We who are believers will receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Ready to keep going? Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled. Talking about uh, Genesis 12. Uh, could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. 
For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now the mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right by God, with God by obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are ch all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And so as we participate with Christ, Paul is saying, look, because of your faith, you know, Jesus says to the woman he healed, your faith has saved you. Woman, your faith has made you well. And it is our faith, it is grace in operation, <laughs> taking a piggyback ride on our faith in our lives that saves us. And so it is, it is God's grace. And yet faith is the vehicle that administers that grace to our lives. We simply believe. We simply trust what he's done. And when we do, the Bible says we're God's kids. Just as Jesus was God's kid, Jesus was the firstborn brother. And so Jesus is our oldest brother. And so he's our example. If you had an older brother, I had an older brother. And he was, you know, I, I always wanted to be like him. And, and so Jesus is an older brother, which means that he is our example. He's not just, he's not just our dad. Uh, he's, he's our example, and he's showing us how to live. He went before us. He did all the important stuff uh, for us, and he also taught us how to do the most important stuff. And so as he is, so are we in the world. We live as Christ in the world. We're all little Christs. That what, that's what Christians means. Uh, means, but Paul is also saying that you're you're also Abraham's kids because you believe like him. You 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 have the faith of Abraham, who when he heard God's promise about being the father of many nations, 
and being a blessing to all the nations on the earth, we just inherited his, his promise. And God said, I'm going to bless you and make nations from you. And so now every one of us has that promise of blessing and of blessing the whole world. And, and that's an amazing gift. It's, it's like, like we, we believe in Jesus and therefore God says, ah, you're blessed and highly favored. You've, you have got my full blessing. The way that I felt towards Abraham is the way that I feel towards you. Because you're a chip off the old block. You got Abraham's faith. Man, look at you. You're awesome. You are awesome in my sight. And you've got my full blessing. Not only will I bless you and your family, I'm going to make you a blessing to every family on the earth. It's chapter 3. You ready for chapter 4? It gets better. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they have have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it is with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own children. Wow. That's God's right to buy our freedom and to adopt us as his kids. And just imagine, you know, um, an ancient slave market and, and God coming, showing up at the slave market and looking at us and saying, I want that one. I am paying the full price for this, to own this person. And then instead of enslaving us or treating us as slaves, God brings us home, washes us up, put, puts a, a, a robe, a royal robe around us, puts a ring on our finger, puts sandals on our feet, throws us a party and says, today, you're not a slave anymore. Today, I'm adopting you. You're my kid. That's amazing. And that's something only God can do. Because our lives aren't cheap. And Jesus paid the full price, which was the high price of his own life, in order to buy us. So that, so that he would not just own us, but that he would actually adopt us and call us his own family. And because we are his children, Paul says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. And so we have that child impulse in us to cry out, oh, Father, and to recognize his legitimate claim as Father in our life. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want 
to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work for you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You know, there are other places where Paul talks about, um, you know, uh, withholding for meat sacrifice to idols and um, being careful how we practice our freedom for the sake of the conscience of the weaker brother. And that all, that is all very, very um, powerful and good truth. But I'm afraid that, uh, that we sometimes overuse that principle and we withhold um, the practice of our freedom, which really is the outworking of the gospel for the sake of people who um, are stubbornly holding on to the law. And Paul is not looking at the Galatians as um, a, a bunch of weaker brothers who are on a journey towards grace that he needs to be careful not to offend. Paul is perfectly willing to offend their sensibilities. And he is coming in with a very bold message and saying, no, not on my watch. You are not going back to the law. And I will be very bold in demanding that you live in faith and in freedom because that is the core of the gospel. So Paul is willing to go toe-to-toe with with the, the Judaizers because they are deceiving the Galatians. And Paul is saying, not on my watch. Let me tell you about the freedom that you have in Christ. So he says, you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Jesus Christ himself. Were it, were, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? So Paul knows he's being very bold. And he's saying, I don't care. We're, we're going to talk about this. This is some serious business. They're, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I am with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through the lab- through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So Paul, man, he loves the Galatians. And when he preached the gospel to them, it was, it was as though he was going through childbirth. 
and the Galatia is like the Galatians wanted to go back into the womb <laughs> and be and be born again again and again and Paul is saying ouch it hurts it hurts to see you go backwards and I'm going to labor for you until Christ is formed in you yeah Jesus might be in you but he might be so tiny <laughs> and he might not be formed in you and I'm going to labor so that Christ is formed in you that is um, that is spiritual formation. It is, it is that Christ is in you and he is the hope of glory and his life lives in you. And yet we can make Christ so small in our lives that our lives feel like hell, even though Christ is in there. And the whole journey of spiritual formation and discipleship is that Christ would be formed in us like a, like a child growing into a fully formed adult, that we might reach perfection, completion, as, as Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew 5, to be perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. That, that is a positional reality that's becoming an experiential reality as Christ is formed in us. We're walking in the way of love. And if we're walking around like law kids, Law children, scared of the law, scared of death, scared of punishment, then we are proving to ourselves and to the world and to the enemies of God, the, the, the devil himself, that we are still slaves of the law. And Satan's not threatened by that. You can't, you can't de destroy the works of Satan if Christ is unformed in you. And you're walking around with condemnation and shame on your shoulders. Satan's not scared of people like that. Satan's scared of free people. Um, Satan is scared of, of people who have walked the road of love with Jesus and have seen Jesus grow up in them. Paul writes, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, that was Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, that was Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. And that's why Ishmael is significant as a representative, this is me talking, of, um, of the law is because it represents a human attempt to get the actualization of what God said, which was his blessing through human effort. And so Paul is comparing Ishmael to the law. So he says, but the son of the freeborn wife, that was Isaac, was born uh, as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So Ishmael came through effort. Isaac came through a miracle and faith. And so they're useful representatives of law versus grace. These two women, Paul says, serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. Hmm. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. 
you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Amen, hallelujah. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with a free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. And so even in the old covenant, quote unquote, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, if, we, if we went to the really old covenant, there's several covenants. Um, but even in that covenant, there is a picture of God's insistence on grace as the modus operandi of salvation. He is not content to let the law be the way that we get saved, the way that we get healed, the way that we get blessing, the way that the the promise comes to its fulfillment in our lives. He wants it to be through grace. And he's so insistent that it is only by grace through faith that he says here, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of the law and the children of the law. Don't mix with them. Don't mingle with them. Don't, put, don't let them tickle your ears. Get rid of them. Disassociate from those, the, the law and the kids of the law. Those who insist on being justified by the law. Don't listen to their teaching. Don't don't let them influence your life. Pray for them that they might be saved through faith. And there are so many law kids out there. It's natural. It's part of the the um, the covenant uh, of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. It's not under the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's not under the the covenant of mercy triumphs over judgment. It's under the covenant of retribution. And it is it has no place among God's people. Um, and so so Paul is is very insistent that these Judaizers among the Galatians should have no influence in them. And I think it would do us good to recognize the people who are tickling our ears with law talk and intentionally disassociate from them and not allow them to influence our lives, except that we should be an influence in their lives. Chapter five, the high point in in many ways of this book. So Christ has truly set us free. Uh, In another version, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now make sure that you stay free (laughs) and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. You are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised. Uh, You 
If, uh, if you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Now, we may not be trying to get right as the Galatians were through circumcision. But when we put emotional or spiritual significance on the law as a way to make us right, to make us holy, to make us pure before God, it is a spiritual uh, uh, circumcision, like a negative spiritual circumcision. This applies to us if we are if we are leaning on the law or even on... Um, you know, quote unquote, New Testament rules done in the power of our of our flesh. You know, oh, just make sure that you, well, Paul says don't get drunk. Make sure you don't get drunk. You know, make sure that you don't, you know, try not to lust, try not to do this, try and try, try, try. If we are under the gospel of try harder, then it's as though we are circumcising ourselves because we have not believed the gospel. For if you are trying, here's that word again, if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And that's that to me is a scary verse. I don't know what the eternal implications of falling away from God's grace might be for somebody who um, has given their life to Christ at one point and then has come under the law. I don't know. What I do know is that those who do this, um, you can tell uh, by the fruit of their lives. It's self-condemnation, it's judgment of others, um, it is works of the flesh, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, the fruit is apparent. It, it's, it's that condemned life. You live in hell, this side of heaven. And if it weren't for grace, all of us would be lost. Because to some degree, we all fall into this trap. And it's wonderful that we have another promise elsewhere in scripture, which is this incredible promise that should give you great, great encouragement if our hearts condemn us. God is greater than our hearts. So praise the Lord that God is greater than our own hearts, even if through law thinking we begin to condemn ourselves. And yet Paul says, if you have if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And that flow into your life, which is grace, which is designed to bring victory and hope and confidence, it's been cut off. You have cut off the stream of grace in your life. He goes on, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And that should be the rubric of your life. Is faith working itself out in love? Does my faith in Jesus make me love my neighbor 
as I love myself? Does it make me, does it make my heart beat with compassion for the, the poor and the needy? Does it, does it make me long for, for God and desire to live in his love? The law is summed up, says Paul, in that one word. To love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says those are the greatest commandments because they are the summing up of the law, that law of love. James talks about it as the perfect law that brings freedom, liberty. That's the law we're under. It's the law of love. You are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Um, A scary verse, if you're not only believing... um, in the law for righteousness, but teaching the law to others for righteousness. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Or elsewhere it talks about emasculating themselves. So Paul, you know, Paul is, is, is talking tough. Um, I mean, these are fighting words. Um, I wish, I wish, if you think that circumcising yourself will make you right before God, I wish you'd just cut it all off. I wish you'd just um, demonstrate the impotence of the flesh by going all the way. You know, don't, don't just stop at the foreskin. Go all the way. Go ahead. Go all the way and then your body will be a reminder of the powerlessness of the flesh to actually do anything fruitful for God. (laughs) And um, Paul's not scared to use that language. That's pretty amazing. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's sort of like, Paul's like, of course, why would you use your freedom as, as, a, as an excuse to gratify the flesh? That, that's silly. If it's, if it's real freedom, and you don't want to go back to the flesh. Instead, Paul says, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Paul talks here about sin, not in terms of uh, not in terms of the big sins we think about. You know, don't drink, smoke, chew, or hang around with those who do. Uh, it's, it's not a, it's not just about sexual immorality. It's not just about you know um, 
idolatry or witchcraft. I mean, he'll talk about those things. But the first thing he wants to talk about is our relationships within the body of Christ, with, within the church. Man, man, you guys are gossiping, biting each other, devouring each other. Just speak, you know, all these things. Your relationships are broken down. Be careful. That's as dangerous a sin as any of the things that we think of as dangerous sins. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Of course it does. Which is just the opposite of, the spirit, of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Hmm. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. He says it like this in Romans. Um, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh when he died. He condemned sin inside of my body in order that the righteous requirements of the law, the good things that God gave to Moses for the Israelites to do, all of those good and righteous requirements would be not partially met, but fully met, fulfilled completely by those who live not according to to the flesh, but who live according to the spirit. And so, um, so Paul is saying, when you're operating in obedience and communion with the spirit of God, and you're welcoming God's spirit to flow through you, and your heart and mind are in a reliant uh, alignment, reliant alignment with the will of God through the Holy Spirit, and he comes close to you. Uh, he's not, he, does, he doesn't come close to you. He, he lives in you. So he is close to you. You realize through faith how close he is. You experience the reality of that, and you say, Jesus uh, I, I am, my heart is going to allow you to do whatever you want to do. Obedience and reliance and alignment, then what, why are you worried about following the rules? Um, why, why does it bother you that maybe you're not doing everything just the perfect way that the teacher that you used to like to listen to said you should do it. Oh, you know, you you really need to watch out for this sin or that sin or make sure you're doing this or pray two hours a day or share, share the gospel with everyone you meet. It's like, why are you letting those words put you under the condemnation of the law again? Because Paul says, when you, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, full pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. Oh, those ones hit too close for for Christians. Uh, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's not saying, hey, you know, loosey-goosey, just do whatever you want. He's just saying that there's no way that you can do what you really want in the Spirit without the power of the Spirit flowing through you. You've got to live with Him. 
You've got to let him in. You've got to let him do what he wants to do. And if you walk by the Spirit, then you're not going to do the things that the flesh wants. You're going to love people. You're, you're not going to use and abuse them and objectify them and try to consume them for selfish ambition. You're not going to dishonor and fight against people and, and, and worry and fret over, you know, where is this going to come from and how am I going to do this? You're not going to have to control the future. Like you're going to be free and you're going to look free and people will be able to taste the fruit of your life and say, ah, that's a free person right there. And, and, that, and, and if you are living by the flesh, it's not going to just be one of these things that's going to manifest in your life. You're going to have several things manifesting in your life. It's going to be obvious, Jesus says, you know a tree by its fruit. And and you'll have several manifestations of this in your life. And if these are the manifestations in your life, it doesn't mean that you are condemned unless, of course, you've condemned yourself by bringing yourself back under the law. But if you have, John says, if we sin, wow, praise God, we have a mediator before the Father. And we confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus will not only forgive our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be a slave to that anymore. You can bring it to Jesus and say, wow, I've been, wrong. I've been thinking wrong this whole time. Um, I didn't know how much you paid. For my life. I didn't know how much it cost me to hold on to the law or to hold on to, you know, sometimes we hold on to the law because of unforgiveness. Sometimes we hold on to the law because, um, because I just can't imagine releasing the person from the debt that they owe me. And I just want them to feel the, the pain that I felt and the power of what they, and G, and God is saying, no, listen, listen, you, that person owes you a thousand bucks, but you owe me a million bucks. And I'll rip up my IOU if you rip up yours. That's, um, I heard somebody yesterday call that uh, enlightened self-interest. Good business sense. Yeah, I, I will definitely cancel the debt that other people owe me since God has canceled my debt to him. And we simply, um, in faith, you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to feel this coursing through your body. You can just declare it in faith. Nah, God, I release all, all, everyone who's hurt me. All these people, you can name them. All these people who've hurt me, I release them in the name of Jesus by faith, believing that it's going to work. And I release all the pain to you. I, I give it to you. I invite your spirit to give me the right perspective on all that pain that I feel. And I'm giving them over to you, Jesus, for your perfect justice. And I'm trusting you for justice in this case. And I'm also releasing them from their obligation to pay me back. I am trusting you because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm trusting you to give them exactly what you want to give them because your justice is better than mine. And so I'm releasing their need to repay me. Lord, uh, I'm giving that over to you. And I am, I am receiving instead freedom from this unforgiveness, which has kept me in slavery. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, we hold on to the law simply because we don't want to forgive people because the, the law allows us to get, to get our pound of flesh. 
But grace says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so if we want to participate in grace, you know, we, we're going to have to give grace. We're going to have to give forgiveness. And when we give that which we want to receive, we find that our lives are marked by the reception of what we've wanted to give. Because sometimes it's hard to understand uh, that or to receive that which you are unable to give. And so that's why forgiveness is such a core message in the gospel and reconciliation to, to be made right because God has made us right with him. But how can we believe that he's made us right with him if we're constantly going around believing that there's no way for others to be made right with us or for us to be made right with them. We're carrying around shame and condemnation and it is only hurting us. It is poison in our bodies. And so Paul says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And then chapter six, amazing, amazing um, conclusion. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Gosh, there's good news. There's good news. As strong as Paul is on faith over the law, he's saying, look, we all fall into traps and temptations. James says we all stumble in many ways. So look, if you're caught up in sin, this is the easiest thing in the world. Turn to Jesus Tell him, Lord, I believe in what you've done for me on the cross. And I believe that I am born again through your resurrection. And I trust you to do all the hard stuff. And if, if there's somebody in your life that's caught up in that, that's been caught up in law thinking, or even in, 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 um, in, in works of the flesh, Paul's not saying condemn them. Paul's not saying be mean to them. He's saying, hey, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Restore them. And he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each per others, share each, yeah, share each other's burdens. And in the same way, obey the law of Christ. In this way, obey the law of Christ. So yeah, there's a law. It's the law of love. And this is how you demonstrate obedience to the law of Christ. By sharing people's burdens, loving them, bringing them back when they're weak and failing and having a hard time, and loving them. Man, simple. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Man, I should, I should put that on a poster. You are not that important. Uh, I don't know how many of that <laughs> posters that was. You're not that important. You are not too important to help somebody out. You're just channeling Christ to that person. You're just practicing the law of love. I'm going to preach that to myself because I need that. Pay careful attention to your own works. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Hey, that's great news. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. All you need to do is just pay attention to what you, your own work and what God's called you to. Man, that's great. That's wonderful news for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Hey, there's some good boundaries too. You're not responsible for your neighbor's conduct. You're not responsible for your spouse's conduct. Um, you are responsible for you. And so Paul is saying, uh, pay attention to your own work. And if you do, 
then you can pat yourself on the back. Hey, job well done. I obeyed the Lord. I did what he called me to do. (laughs) Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, Paul says, sharing all good things with them. So I just stopped here this morning and I just took time to bless all the mentors, all the teachers in my life and say, wow, thank you, Jesus. Some of them didn't fully know you or didn't fully understand the power of your grace. And yet, thank you for the investment that they made in my life. Let me be a blessing to them. Let me be a blessing to them in spiritual ways and in any, any other ways you want. Because, wow, what a gift to have teachers um, who love us and want good things for us. Don't be misled, Paul says. You cannot mock God's justice. You will always harvest what you plant. This goes back to the unforgiveness thing. Man, we're, we're going to reap what we sow. And if bitterness and unforgiveness and pain and death and betrayal is what we sow into the earth, that is what we will receive. That is what we will receive. That will be the defining character of our lives. There's no way out here. It's a hard, it, it's a hard gospel. It's an offensive cross. Um, and yet this is the way. This is the way to God through Jesus Christ. It's, it's scandalous. It's offensive. It's, it's wonderful. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. Yeehaw. To satisfy uh, from that sinful nature. So if you, if you live for pleasure, if you live for uh, to hold grudges and to try to gratify the flesh, that's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna get in return from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. And again, we're not talking about everlasting life just in heaven. We're talking about everlasting life now. Man, I, I am in eternity. I am living currently in eternal life because Jesus says in John 17, "This is eternal life." that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To the degree that I know Jesus and am known by him on this earth, man, my life is heaven. My life is, is eternal. And, and I live in this body by faith in the Son of God, as Paul says earlier. But, but man, my defining reality, spiritually speaking, is just eternal life. Heaven on earth. And, and when we live to please the spirit that lives in us, we will harvest from that spirit everlasting life. So it is for now and it is for later, for the final salvation. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Wow. Paul's uh, going to bring it home here by saying, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. <laughs> those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. This is, I almost hear him saying, for crying out loud. They only want 
you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Wow. And I think about what Jesus said about law people making disciples. You travel over, you know, like mountains and oceans just to make one convert. And when you do, you make them twice the son of hell as you are. Wow. Like, go, good job discipling people into the law. You just made them the son of hell. Wow. Even more than you are. Let's be careful about, about how we disciple and what the message of our lives is. If the message of our lives is law, then my goodness, get, like, get right before the Lord through faith before you go out and start teaching other people to follow your wicked and corrupted law way. <laughs> it's, it's terrible, you know? Just, like, when we do discipleship, we better think about what the message is is that we are discipling people into. That's a scary, scary admonition. These people only want to claim you as their disciples and boast about you, put you in a newsletter or an annual report. See, see how many disciples of the law that I made this year? What a great minister of the gospel of death I am. <laughs> as for me, Paul says, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Wow. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. New creation, new creation, new creation. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And again, that is only through faith in Christ. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, this is his final remarks. It's like Paul said, all right, I said my peace. Now, here's the deal. From now on, don't let anyone cause anyone trouble me with these things. He's like, I've had enough. I'm not talking about this anymore. I've said my piece on this. For I bear in my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. And Paul's literally been branded with Christ in his body. And he can show the scars to prove that he belongs to Christ. So he says, I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's Galatians. And um, if you're not fired up, you should be. Because this is not a gospel of getting more religious. This is a, not a gospel of following the rules with some sort of OCD perfectionistic um, efforts in the flesh. This is, this is how we live the words of Christ. Be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. We do it by faith, participating in Jesus, by simply trusting him, by saying, wow, Jesus, you're so good. Wow. The book says you did this stuff. Okay. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds weird. But it sounds like life. It's like, you know, Peter said to Jesus, nah, where, where else are we going to go? You got the words of eternal life. It is reliance on Jesus. And that's all we've got. That's all I've got to show for. Um, I am nothing without Christ.
Even, even as a very quote-unquote good Christian, I am nothing without Christ. I don't, I don't boast in what I do for Christ. I don't boast in how clean my hands are before Christ. Oh my goodness, I, you know, I did not lust after one woman today. What a great guy. No, no, I boast in Christ. Jesus Christ is the power. He's the energy that so powerfully works in me. He is the, he is the living principle in me. I'm dead. I am dead. Uh, you know, my life is crucified with Christ. It's hidden with Christ. And, and, and what lives in me is Jesus. And why would I want to resurrect the flesh like some zombie trying, you know, trying to be made right before God? I, I just imagine, you know, can you imagine the, the pearly gates and a, and a zombie right out of Walking Dead or something just showing up at the gates knocking saying, let me in. You know, that's what it's like when we think that by works of the law and by the flesh, we're going to somehow make it into God's presence here on the earth or in the afterlife. I mean, if I was, if I was watching that gate, I'd, I mean, I would either kill that zombie or drive it away because there's no way it's coming into the heavenly Jerusalem. And, uh, and that's what we look like before God, some resurrected, decaying flesh person trying to get to God <laughs> on our own merits. It's like, oh, I could put, you know, I'm a, I'm a zombie. I put on a nice suit and tie. Maybe y'all can fool you. Like, no, no, I stink like death, you know? And that's obvious. That's coming out of my life. That is flowing out of my open sores, you know? Um, but when we allow ourselves to die with Christ and to stay dead in the grave, then what is resurrected is newness of life. What is resurrected really is, is Jesus living through my body. It's Jesus possessing my body. I am a possessed person. And, and Jesus has taken over through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the alongside advocate who teaches me all truth, who reminds me of everything that Christ has taught and commanded, that guy lives inside of me. It is literally the Spirit of Christ. Jesus could not be closer to me because he literally lives inside of my body. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The churches aren't God's house. I'm God's house. I am the temple. We together are living stones being built up into a temple in which God can habitate by his Holy Spirit. He can live there by his presence. So we corporately are his, his temple, but also I personally am his temple. And it's not my spirit that's his temple. It's my body that's his temple. And if I live by the spirit that lives inside of me, then I don't do the flesh stuff. I don't do the stuff that the law condemns. I perfectly fulfill the righteous requirements of the law because of what Jesus has done. And the more I believe it, the more I experience it in my life. The more I believe that, wow, Jesus did it all. Amazing. The more that actually comes true in my life. I don't, you know, when I believe that stuff, when I sit, you know, when I sit in God's presence and I say, Jesus, just welcome. Thanks for being my friend. Thanks for living inside of me. 
hey, like I did today, Jesus, I just recommit my life to you again. It's yours. It's yours. Whatever I started getting scared of and afraid, you know, and I don't even have to make it all perfect emotionally in, in my heart. My heart will catch up. But Jesus, right now, I'm just giving my life to you because you're worth following. You, you showed me the way of love. You, you paved the way on the cross. So why would I not live that way? Why would I go back to the condemned way of the curse of the law when, by golly, you became a curse for me so that I could live in newness of life? Pretty cool deal. That is a really, really good deal. It'd be smart for us to take that deal. All it takes is dying. You know, that's all it takes. Let, letting that zombie self of ours lay down in the grave it's dead, it's decaying, it is morally and spiritually corrupt and powerless and cannot get to God. It is impossible, Paul says, to please God by the flesh. But if by the Spirit we put to death the, the works of the flesh, just put them to death, goodbye, all, all dead, um, you know, then we are alive in Christ. My goodness, like, this is good news. This is really, really... Um, Really goodness. So it makes me happy. You can tell how happy I am just talking about it because it's a reminder to me and to you because I don't live this perfectly. I don't believe this perfectly. I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I wake up grumpy. I wake up sometimes just just wanting to get my needs met, just hoping that somebody will come and see me and love me because I'm not enough and I'm an orphan. Like I I get that way. And, and when I get that way, it's it's just turning to Jesus saying, wow, Lord, you did it all. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Let me spend time with you. Let me just get to know you. And when I do that, it's not, it's not like, oh, have you had your quiet time this morning? That's, that's law thinking. It's, I just want to get to know the one my heart loves. And because I know that when I do, he, he pulls me into a space like this. He pulls me into his presence. He says, oh, child, yep, I did it all. And all you have to do is walk by the Spirit of God. It's good news. Good news. Father, I pray that that message of your gospel that Paul preached would sink deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, and would be felt as a reality in our bodies. Lord, you're, you've caused your face to shine on us. So let us feel the warmth of your sunshining face. On our, on our faces, on our minds and our bodies. I thank you for the newness of life that we have in Christ. I thank you for our adoption to sons and daughters. I thank you that you are making new creation. You have made us new and you are making us new and you will make us new that we are saved by grace through faith. And we all together give our lives to you. And we say, thank you. You're the king of glory. You're the king of glory. And you shared your glory with us and allowed us to experience and participate in this beautiful glory. And so Lord, we give all that glory and honor back to you. In Jesus name, we glorify you because you're, you're worth the worship. You're worth the praise. You've done it all. You were slain before the foundations of the world for our sin and the debt is paid. And the work is done. So we simply look to you 
with unveiled faces as you're transforming us to be just like you from glory to glory. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for bearing with me and listening to this reading of the word. Bless you today. Um, My prayer, of course, is that every one of us, myself included, would walk in that newness of life. See you next time.